Hello everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Board Game Gambit Podcast. Who made this? We're going to be talking about board game publishers and who made that game that you are so lovingly playing or is sitting on your shelf still in the wrapper. <laughs> uh, joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome everyone. It's nice to be back. Uh, I have had a very complicated and busy schedule recently, so we have uh, fallen off the track a little bit, especially with my editing. But it's nice to be back <laughs> and um, and trying to, to get back to, to it. I've been good. The, the fact that we can finally do things has meant hiking and kayaking and going to the beach, etc., and therefore I have been playing less than I have in other periods, but it's everything is good. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like we're in this really weird interim where, at least in Massachusetts, and the, especially in the area where I am, it's a lot of people, it's, it's a combination of people still wearing masks, people requiring masks for entry into their businesses and then the complete opposite like in in provincetown my friend sent me a, a video of like all these people at the at one of the like clubs in provincetown and yes it's outside but like there's like easily four or five hundred people in this like Whoa. video and i'm like oh my god that gives me so much anxiety <laughs> here in rhode island i I think, I mean, I don't go to that many places, but I think that uh, mask requirements have been lifted basically everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the crowded places tend to be the beaches. Mm -hmm. um, but we haven't been on a beach on, on a weekend, so we haven't seen any super crowded spaces. <laughs> it's fun because when we went to hike at the White Mountains, we read, oh, and now the, the trails are so busy with people and etc. But obviously they are busy by hiking mountains and that. So it means that you sure. see someone rather than not seeing anyone. But it was fun to read the outrage comments of, oh, so <laughs> many people. So have you played anything recently? Yeah, actually yesterday. I played a solo game. Ooh. Scott was busy playing with his fancy new LED rainbow computer, playing with his brother League of Legends, which is weird. I played one game of it. I don't have a strong desire to return to it. <laughs> but the yeah. game that the board game that I played was Imperial Settlers um, Empires of the North. Oh, nice. So. I learned how to play that, and I played the solo version. It was interesting. It has different, like, scenarios. Uh, mine was, like, winter is coming. So, like, it's like you're trying to get different, like, food requirements by the end because you have to feed all of the, like, little worker people that you have. And then there are, like, some small changes to, like, the action puns. So it's... So the scenarios are specific for the solo game? Yes. That's okay, yeah. And then they have little like events too, like you have you have these five tokens that you don't really need in the solo version. So um you use them to draw one at a time and it, it can be one of the events happen and then you have to resolve that also. So it was it was a lot of fun. I actually 
really enjoyed it. Um, I won by like two points. <laughs> it was very close. The threshold was 30 points and I got 32 points. So I like just, just, just made it. So beside the solo, do you remember enough of the original Imperial Setters to understand whether this fixed it for you or whether it's just that it is a different moment of your experience with the game and things like that? Um, so I remember in the original, don't, can't you like, just, don't you just like naturally get income? Yes. At the beginning of each round, you get income from each of your production cards. So you get no income in this. Ooh. So you have so... to like go and physically harvest mm -hmm. in order to get income. And I think that's one of the biggest changes that I noticed. It was... It was difficult. Like, I was like, okay, now I need a rock. Oh, nope. Have no rocks. Oh, have no way to get rocks. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was very, I would say that now that I've played through it once, I probably would do much better. And I played like the intro solo mode or whatever. So, I mean, I expected to do okay at it but yeah some of them look a lot harder the thresholds for the points are a lot higher and it just seems really interesting i actually um they just had a sale on their website portal games and i purchased some of the other expansions because they were only like 15 bucks a piece which i thought was pretty good yeah i i would be very curious about trying it because i from everything that i can see it's a more refined version of of the older one Mm -hmm. So I think it will be better. I don't think from what I've seen again, I haven't tried the game, that it will be better enough for me to shift to the new one, but I would love to try it. Oh, I also really like the like expedition portion of it, like the sailing, because then you can either um, pillage the island um, when you go off on the ship, or you can um, conquer the island and it becomes a location for you. And then it has like its own action and a building bonus and like all this stuff. So, um, and then it in a multiplayer game, it depends on who gets there first, who does that action first. They become first in the queue, and then they get first options of the different the different things that are available. I don't know. It's I think I think you'll really like it. It's I had a lot of fun with it. For sure. I look forward to trying it. I know that you don't play solo games that often, but you certainly do it more than me. Uh, one that I have been eyeing and that can convince me to, to play a solo game is um, Lost Ruins of Arnak. They released a solo campaign mm -hmm. that I want to look into because I tried the solo game once and it was okay, but very procedural. You just flip and see what Spaces get taken by by the bot that scores points, while these seems to be a little more involved with events and things like that. Yeah, and have you actually seen the announcement that they made about the expansion? Yes, I saw it. Uh, I haven't dig into it too much. I saw that it's supposed to not completely change or alter, like add a new track or anything like that. So that it has replacement tracks, so it's meant to increase variability, mm -hmm. which at the same time, it's probably my favorite kind of expansion, but it risks being a little superfluous because I don't feel like I have exhausted 
Lost Ruins of Aranak. Um, so we'll see. So but the he, only things that it's adding are the leaders, which have unique abilities and unique starting decks. Yeah, which I don't. Which you don't like. Look forward to, yeah. Um, but I am excited for new item and artifact cards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what we said, I think, when we reviewed it, that even just a few more cards and a few more more artifacts would have increased significantly the, the variety because the decks are not that big. Um, and mm-hmm. you, see, you see a good number of them. And so having, instead of, I don't know, twice the ones that you see in a three-player game, having three times with, would shuffle things around... And uh, the track, I know that you have tried the alternate board. I haven't even done that because since we got it this this year, we haven't been playing that much. So, but yeah, yeah. So, the other side is way more punishing. <laughs> what what does that mean? I mean, I I have heard that often, but is it that the, the rewards are smaller or the, that the costs are higher, or are they actually negative things? So I think the things that are that stand out for me are the costs for. Exp- the expedition are different. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them require specific things. Like I know one of the level two expeditions costs like two boots and an airplane or something. So it's like very specific things that are required. Um, the other thing is on the uh, research track. Mm-hmm. There are very difficult spots to overcome. Like there's a spot that um, requires a an unused idol that you've got from exploring okay so i mean it's not like terrible but it does like significantly because you're thinking of so that's taking away points from you it's also taking away like the option to use it for an immediate bonus if if you're not doing it for like even more points you know what i mean um so it's it just seems like it is a lot harder to get resources more reliably on the other side and then the bon- the bonus <laughs> when you get high on the track with your magnifying glass is fear and okay. your deck instead so of like has, a bonus <laughs> yeah so it has negative negative things that happen to you while you move up okay yeah, I, I would like to try it. Uh, Arnak has been one of the most exciting games for me over the last year and a half, and I haven't played it nearly as much as I would like to. But Yeah, it's a definitely a good game, definitely. Okay, well, let's see if I have played something. Oh, yeah, um, I have been playing a lot of uh, Tainted Grail, okay. which is by Awaken Realms, and it's uh, basically a role-playing game more than a... Than a game, meaning that there are two big components to the game. One is an adventure book in which you go around the map, which is beautifully illustrated, made up of cards, and in this fantastic uh, world here is um, the theme is that after the fall of Avalon, which was exploring a different campaign for the same game, everything is strange and covered in snow and cold and you're traveling from a little village to a little hamlet trying to look for food and warmth and shelter. So basically it combines a medieval fantasy Arthurian dark theme with a 
a little bit of a post-apocalyptic theme mm-hmm. because you are scavenging for food and things like that. And that's the main draw, I think, of the game. You go to a location, there are there is a thick book of very well-written stories and you have interaction with people and it has a very intricate system of status noting and so it asks if you have the mission one part status go here if you have the fallen encounters three go here and after you do the encounter you mark something so that the next time you go there something different will happen or you can go to a different location and interact differently with people but one of the things that I think makes the game a game and not just basically an adventure book on a table, like some of these things tend to be from time to time, is that it has a very interesting combat system. Uh, the way it works is you play cards in a row and the cards have their own effect, but m- a good half of what they do is connected to icons on the left side of the card and on the right side of the card and you match them with the cards that you played before and so you're trying to find the sequence between your cards and your partner's cards because it's a cooperative game that will make for a powerful combination and sometimes it can be very tricky to decide what to do also because some of these cards let you draw cards mid-sequence but so that means that you cannot map everything before and it's often a matter of how much damage can i sustain from the monster should i try to run away and we are playing with a couple of added variants that are official variants to scale the difficulty up and we're kind of regretting it (laughs) because the first campaign that we played was definitely a little too easy but this one is is intense. Um, so it, it has been very good. It has been open on our table and we have been playing when we have time. Um, but it has been a very good good experience so far. I'm liking this campaign much more than the first one, meaning the story was great even in the first one, but it was too open-ended, which I know sounds blasphemy to someone, <laughs> some people, but for me, a game should still have as usual, an arc and a direction. I never was too drawn by completely open-ended, completely sandbox games. I like to have a certain development, and so this this works a little better for me. It looks really interesting. Like it looks like I would probably really like it. Yeah, it's it's very good. And the good thing is that when we're done, we have another campaign after this. But then we can just <laughs> give it to you to play because it's 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 technically replayable because you don't see everything in a campaign. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we will be replaying it because the, the, the nice thing is developing your character, getting to the core of the story. And so sure, maybe you don't see all of the possible characters and all of the possible events, but the main story advances in a, in a very interesting way. And, I like Arthurian legends, so even if this is definitely a twist on it, I like the, the feeling of the the knights and the, the, the world giving, being given back to old powers and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the minis look really nice. Yes, although, and you will disapprove of us, but uh, we didn't get the, the mini expansion, so a lot of the things that could be minis are just cards in our edition. Oh, that's fine. Okay. It it looks like while very cool, 
they seem a little unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, the we have obviously the basic miniatures that are included in the game that are the big men here, which are important. There are tracks that change every turn. But some of the miniatures are literally, you flip a card, and that's a monster, and you fight the monster, and if you don't kill the monster, then you put the miniature, and then it could track you down and, and attack you later in the round. Otherwise, you do it with the card. But so they... They don't particularly move around, and often they appear and get killed. So really, the miniatures were a visualization of something that is perfectly fine. Also, because the cards are very nice. The illustrations on the cards are very, very nice. So That's good. Yeah, I'm excited to try that. That looks cool. Anything else? I haven't really played very much. Uh, there was one thing that I wanted to mention. It's a small game, but it's a very nice game for for the presentation in particular. It's a game called Mythe, um, M-I-T-H-E, by Koji Malta. And it's a game from 2012 that didn't get particular traction. And it was brought to... to the West, let's say it's a, it's a Japanese uh, release at the beginning. Ludo Creations brought it to to the Western market, and it's first of all it's very cute because it's a game that where the board is a pop up cardboard. So when you open the board, there is a little scenery, a landscape that pops up, and you are playing mice that are on a quest to go find the golden cheese and uh, win it back from the dragon. And it's basically a game of push your luck and bluff combined. Very simple. It's a very simple game. But the two mechanics are push your luck and bluff. You draw cards from other people's hands and reveal them on the table. And if it's a positive number or even if it's a zero, you accrue movement points. And you can either stop or continue. And the, the risk of continuing is that they're among the four players there are three skulls and if you draw a skull you immediately lose all of your progress uh, whenever you decide to stop you add up the points the movement points that you have collected and you move that many dots on the track then there is a rule for which you you skip occupied dots so sometimes you want more movement sometimes you need less but in general you are moving forward and then at the end you need to have a specific card from a, a set of three in your hand, reveal that, and then proceed to the turn and try to defeat the dragon. Uh, so the the interesting choices are is the the choice that is interesting is the push your luck when you're drawing, but when you're done drawing cards, whether because you bust or because you have moved, you collect everything that you have drawn plus everything that is in your hand, and you secretly choose how to divide it uh, amongst other players. So there, there is an interesting double thinking of okay, do I, ideally I would like to have the bad things in my hand so people can draw from me and uh, bust and give other people the good things so they can draw from them when it, the turn comes back around to me. But obviously if you do that, other players would know that and never ever bust and simply pick cards from each other. So it becomes a complicated thing, well, complicated, an interesting thing of, uh, oh, we'll have... Uh, Jackie given Anna the, the skulls or 
that that person is behind, so they probably didn't give them the the high card because they it's not a problem if they draw it. And it's it's a very simple game, but I find it very fun, and it's over in twenty minutes, and it moves along. I liked it. My, I I like that game. I've played it a few times. And aren't you going for like the cheese, and you have to get past the dragon or something? Yes, there is uh, this <laughs> golden cheese, which is the only metal. I mean aluminium whatever it is piece in the game everything else is uh, meeples and there is this dragon meeple that is there just to mark the destination you don't move it so <laughs> but it's nice because it stays in front of this pop-up mountain uh, it's it's a nice game and it's one of those games where you can definitely play with kids because it's the rules are extremely simple at the same time when you play it with adults you get into a layering of oh, I know what you have done, therefore I could do this, but you probably know that I know that you know, and so you can go a little crazy with that. Double and triple thinking. Yes. (laughs) Which, in the end, often reverts back to luck, because once you go, so... (laughs) But uh, it, it was fun. All right. Getting into the meat and potatoes of this episode, we are talking about publishers, and... I, we were thinking about like what draws us to games, what steers us away from games, and a publisher is something that I thought of immediately because there are certain publishers that I will always go to and say, oh, I'm really interested in it because it's being produced by those people or being published by those people. So we've talked about so many different things. We've talked about art. We've talked about the designers. We've talked about different mechanics. But I think it's important to know like that that definitely who publishes your game is is also a deciding factor at least it is for me how about you no absolutely and i think it's one of those uh, things that the relationship of our understanding uh, actually our understanding of publishers in board games evolves while we pay attention to to it like, I think when you start thinking about board games, ironically, the uh, publishers are more present than other things. Because if you talk to people who don't know um, board games and things like that, they might know Hasbro or they might know Mattel or MG Games, those classic big publishers. And vice versa, when you tell them that there are game designers, they are a little surprised or perplexed then obviously you say well like with books like like people follow authors for books you can follow designer for board games but then once you you get deeper into into the the hobby into different board games you notice a that authors so designers are not necessarily always designing the same thing uh, without going to extremes like Vlada Cevatol, who does all of the different possibly spectrum of, of gaming. But even people like Cathala and things like that, they, they can go from very simple to very complex games, from very casual and funny and family-related games to uh, very involved things. But the other thing that appears is that uh, the publisher brings together a lot of the elements that we care about. There are publishers who always go for fanciful and artsy and fantastic themes and others that prefer true and tried 
maybe a little boring themes that showcase the game mechanisms. Uh, and also publishers often in recent years have been becoming almost exclusive outlets for certain designers. Mm-hmm. And so even what used to be in the eye of the designer mark, right? I, I want that designer is subsumed under the the publisher. And finally, publisher can make or break the distribution of a game, either because distribution is not enough or vice versa, because uh, they have some problems, not just with Kickstarter, but all the components might be bad. And so there are editions of games that people don't want because there are mistakes, things like that. So I think it's it's crucial. I know you, you follow that even more than me, and I think you will have more... <laughs> more to say about publisher than I do, but even just looking at my shelves, there are companies that I, I, I can think of, oh, that company I, I had hoped they would get uh, into that line of, of things and they didn't, companies that rose and fell into my my appreciation. So yeah, I, I find it very interesting. Okay, so... You mentioned Hasbro, which is the largest publisher of board games. As of 2018, do you know who the second largest publisher of board games is? Asmodee. Yes. Yes. So Asmodee is a French publisher of board games. Since they were first founded, they have expanded into lots of different markets, including the U.S., and... There are quite a few subsidiaries under Asmodee. There is Fantasy Flight, Days of Wonder, uh, Lookout Games, also Pearl Games, which is another company that I... Zeman Games, I think, is theirs. Yes, there's a lot, actually. That's just sort of like the ones that I could find... (laughs) Oh, there, there are there are a lot. Uh, until recently, Playhead Games was under them. It just moved oh, yeah. away. Edge Studios, which is a role playing company, actually, um, is under them. And yeah, and the interesting thing with Asmodee is that they have a different approach to different subsidiaries. There are design studios. There are publishing arms, and one thing is not treated like the other. It's it's unclear because obviously those are mostly confidential agreements. It's unclear exactly how much things change when something is acquired by Asmodee. It looks like for some of them is simply a matter of where the bug stops. Uh, but for example, for Fantasy Flight, it has signified a significant change in their approach to the production, distribution, and even creation of games. And so it has created a lot of discussions in the board gaming sphere, so to speak. So far, I must say that while I was also a little worried when they started purchasing gaming companies in bulk, with the exception of Fantasy Flight, I haven't seen this incredibly disruptive effect of Asmodee. Fantasy Flight... It's true that it's not what it used to be. It used to be a, a company that put out interesting, different games, some Euros, some innovative multiplayer experiences and things like that. And that's not the case anymore. 
but I'm not necessarily sure that we have evidence that it is because it was acquired by Asmodee. So Fantasy Flight, which for the longest time was amongst my most uh, noticeable go-to publisher, started basically as a one-man's dream, uh, Christian Patterson, he wanted to publish his own game, which is Twilight Imperium, the first or second edition, and he decided to, to put on Fantasy Flight. And so from the beginning, it was a company that was building these very experience-heavy games, uh, a merry trash if you want, but not just that. So big flashy art, miniatures, big boards, longer playtime and all of that then when it became very successful and it put out some very noticeable games not only twilight imperium which is still i think it's number three on bgg with the fourth edition or something like that. probably <laughs> um, but also battlestar galactica they did uh, a lot of the star wars games in recent years but they had all of the Room War series that had Descent and that for a long time before the advent of Gloomhaven was the most popular uh, dungeon crawler. Um, they had Rune Age, which was a, a deck builder, but they also had Battler, which was a, one of the most successful at one point, and then it, it faded incarnations of the Common and Colors uh, series. And so the fantasy flight approach to games was a thing. Then two things happened. One was Asmodee, but the other was that they acquired the license to Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Mm. And that has uh, captured more and more of their attention together with the fact that their LCGs started being successful. Not uh, nearly as successful as Magic the Gathering, but they were basically the only other card games beside the three big Magic Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! The only car games that had a, a sizable economic power. And so the fact that it is true that now basically everything that the FFG puts out is either an expansion for a card game or some kind of Star Wars product, it's true, but I am not sure if it reflects just a new wheel from the owners at Asmodee or a change market. For me, I was never, I I got into the hobby later, much later than you did, and I've sort of always known them to just be the, like, place where everyone goes for, like, Mansions of Madness stuff and things like that. Um, plus, oh, yeah, inter- Cthulhu. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> my, my interactions with them have been fairly limited. At Gen Con, they have their predominant, like, big booth in the front, and there's a huge queue for the, for people to line up that wraps around itself, and someone stands out there inevitably with a big sign, and it says, you know, all the things that are there, and, and then as the day goes on, they take, <laughs> they cross stuff out, or they take it off of the sign, um, so that way you're not waiting in line for no reason. But it's never been something that I, like, really went towards um because it's not like i i do have mansions of madness and i've played it a bit but it's not something that i'm like clamoring for more content all the time 
Yeah, but for example, there was a time where they were producing a lot of different things. For example, Blood Bowl Team Manager, which is, again, the theme is very fantasy, very Ameritrashy, but it's a card game with abilities on the card and things like that. Mission Red Planet was published by them. Kingsburg, Letters from Whitechapel. So there was a period where they used to do a lot of different things. And then they seem Citadels, which was a great success back then. I never particularly liked it, but it was a big, big splash. Is definitely not a big involved interplayer fighting game, like, for example, the Game of Thrones was. And then I think that they decided that their size meant that finding strong lines, whether it was thematic lines like the Cthulhu, they have the Arkham Horror File series, which includes Mansion of Madness, or just focusing on one game and producing a lot of content for that work better for them. And I think that that was already a change that was afoot before their acquisition. It is sure, though, that things have changed since they, they were acquired. Cory Konixia, that had been one of the designers that had worked on some of their most innovative games, left Fantasy Flight, but not Asmode, and now has a new design studio under the umbrella of Asmode. Their, for example, role-playing games were transferred to Edge Studios and, and things like that. So there has been a acceleration of this streamlining. And to me, they have... Well, it's not that they have lost their appeal, but their appeal is strictly connected to, to a specific line. For example, I am debating whether I want to fall into the, the, the rabbit hole of the Arkham Horror LCG. They have announced a new distribution model that will make it a little easier. But that's the point. I'm not following FFG as a publisher anymore, although they announced also the new version of Battlestar Galactica in the Arkham Horror Files world. I'm excited for that. Unfathomable. Unfathomable. I'll trust the, you on that. But yeah, that, <laughs> it, it looks actually interesting. At the same time, it looks more closely related to Battlestar than I would have expected after a, what, 11, 12 years gap. The time, the playtime is intended to be the same. And a lot of the mechanics are really, really the same. And I would have expected, I must say, a little bolder redesign um, beside changing the theme. Well, it's good, though, because it's... I I like when they do stuff like that when things have been out of print for a very long time yeah. and the price of the the other game is crazy. Like, when, when Queen Games redid um, Bruges and Macau because they've been out of print for so long... Yes, they change mechanics, and yes, you know they'll be different or whatever. But they they saw that you know the prices were going up, up, up on the these out of print games. So they were like, okay, well, people actually want this, so let's produce or let's publish it. Pearl Games redid Gingopolis, another one that had been out of print for a while, and so they they just did a reprint of that. They're reprinting the expansion for it also. Um, I think within the next year. And then, you know, I, I, I really appreciate FFG for stepping up and, and taking on Unfathomable because, yeah, the price for Battlestar was getting out of control. No, no, and I, I, if that was the only alternative, it's better to do that than not. I have no qualms with 
oh, they they are ruining something <laughs> or anything like that. It, yeah. it wasn't there, so it's just better. It's not like they stopped producing Battlestar to produce this. It's just that I would have, and I like Battlestar a lot, as you know, but I don't think it's the perfect game. And I think that especially when dealing with games that are not as strictly balanced and contained as a Euro, as Macau, as Bruges, etc. Uh, in a game like Battlestar, there are some elements that could have been smoothed out. Finesse. Something <laughs> something made it into the base game because, for example, there are six skills and there are five in the original Battlestar. The sixth was added with an expansion. So they certainly consider some things, but I think a little more could have been done. But I'm curious because the things that they have changed look very interesting, the way the, the two monsters work, etc. But so for me, fantasy flight is not really on my radar as far as like games go. Like if I I found out about Unfathomable and I'm excited for it, but not because it has anything to do with FFG. Yeah, I can see that. And I think in, in part it's a product of when when you you started noticing it, when it was past its most creative um period. When yeah. it was printing early Lang designs uh, and uh, some Euros, some quirky games like Mission Red Planet, which I love, but is a strange game. Now it would never be published by by Fantasy Flight, I think. And the f- when for me, it's always hard when a company that I was relying on either changes drastically their approach or simply goes belly up. Which, by the way, is what, what, as we mentioned last episode, what I fear is happening to TMG. TMG used to be, for me, my absolute favorite publisher. There was a moment where I had a clear idea that I had a favorite publisher. I don't anymore. And that was TMG. Because they were putting out Oracle of Delphi, Luna, Olean, Aquasphere. And then they came out with Gugong, which is one of my favorite euros and then things started unraveling they slowed any announcement of new new productions tmg is in gugong yeah they distributed gugong with game brewer oh okay um well a lot of these were not originally theirs like aquasphere was originally a german company but they were bringing them to the to the american market and then starting, I think, with the Luna Kickstarter, things started going poorly. Then some releases that they were supposed to have uh, were delayed further. They And recently they lost the license to the American publication of Olean. So I really fear that we won't see much more from TMG. I hope to be proved wrong because they have happy memories and they're their production were always very high quality. Like I have never opened a TMG box and went, well, okay, at least the gameplay is good. They were beautiful. The cardboard was solid. And that's the other thing with, with companies that we, so far we have focused on what they design, but a publishing company also brings a certain quality of, of production, which for me, as you know, it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of those that you mentioned, Oracle of Delphi, Orleon, 
the Luna one. The Luna one is where it started. Yeah, for me, that the reprint. Yeah, the reprint of the Luna was handled poorly, and it wasn't that great. I mean, it. I appreciate some of the things, but some of the things like felt like they just sort of ran out of time. And so they just kind of okayed it through quickly and could have used some more like, like the coins, the metal coins are not great. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. And then there, there was the problem with like mold in the games that people were talking about. So um, yeah, unfortunately it does look like TMG is fading into oblivion, I guess. Yeah. Village was at one point, I think, uh, published by them mm-hmm. before Stronghold, but after Plan B. So, yep. Well, I hope, you know, I I wish nothing but good things for them because they, they you know, did produce a lot of good things and and it's hard the the covid crisis hit a lot of people very hard and i know that the luna issues were before that but i mean it can't it could not have helped them in any way so yeah i don't i i would also like to disclaim that like i'm I'm not doing this. We're we're not doing this to like disparage any publishing companies or say that any are like bad, but um, we're just giving our opinions on them. So that being said, do you remember Mayfair games? I do. Uh, to be fair, Mayfair was the the Catan studio, right? That was their big uh, their big title, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but they had yeah. other stuff like Agricola and the things that you don't really care about. <laughs> I think Grandostri Hotel, my edition of Grandostri Hotel, uh, I think is Mayfair. But yeah, and that's another company that basically was carried by one big title and that allowed them to explore other titles. Mm-hmm. Has that been acquired by, by Asmod as well? Oh yeah. They um, Mayfair has been out of business since 2018. Okay. Because I remember and I remember it was like at Gen Con and it was like a, a sad thing and I feel bad because I remember the the Mayfair, like the the people working the booth always like were so friendly and so like knowledgeable about all the different games that were there. And then unfortunately they um, sold all of their assets to Asmodee. So yeah, so they are in um, 2013. No, 26. 2016 um, Mayfair transferred all of their their um, publishing commercial and brand rights for all English language Catan products to Catan Studio which was a newly created subsidiary of the Asmodee group so that after that then two years later then they sold off the rest of their assets so no but they did things like patchwork and so who publishes Ua Rosenberg now in, in, in English? That is a great question. 
Let's see. Alert Tau is Lookout Games, okay, which is always the... <laughs> Asmodee. Asmodee. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. So th- do they have a publishing logo? I don't think I own any game. Lookout Games? Here. No, I mean Asmodee. They, they only publish under their, their subsidiary logos, right? They don't have a... I have no box that... that <laughs> yeah, no, there's Asmodee. no. There's not going to be anything that's just Asmodee, I don't think. Okay. One one company that is very, very popular with which I have very uh, few connections, to which I have very few connections, is uh, Stronghold Games. Okay. Um, because I see their title a lot, but their titles seem not to click for me. And they are often very, very popular. Terraforming Mars, but also Great Western Trail, which is a game that I like, but didn't particularly care to the point that I think I don't own. I know I own a copy of Escape, and that might be um, Escape uh, Survive the Fate of Atlantis. Uh, that might be the only game from Stronghold Games if my copy is the Stronghold Games copy. But that's another uh, publisher that I think has a very interesting story because they started being simply basically English reprinters. They were looking for games in Germany and bringing them to to the US. And they have grown to be a, a publisher, a developer, and they have done a lot of things. But it's interesting how the line between original publisher and distributor and things like that gets muddied and muddied with, with the further we go into this very stratified uh, process. Is there any company that for you is very popular but you have no interaction with that you have the yes uh, leader games oh which is the oath and root and all of that yep that population of yep. games yeah I don't know much about them I know that they are very popular games also vast is the other one that they do oh fair enough. Uh, I find that sometimes there are, that seems to be the same as, is all the same designer, right? I think so. So, and that's interesting. Sometimes there are companies that are basically synonymous with the designer. The other one that I'm thinking of is Graphil Games, which is uh, the, the Viscounts of the West Kingdom, Paladins, Architects, and Raiders of the North Sea, and Shipwrecked of the North Sea, etc., which is all by uh, the same person. And so when talking about that company, we are also talking about that designer. And I feel like that has become a thing for me. It's, yeah, Shem Phillips' uh, company is Garfield Games, Mm -hmm. and it publishes all of that. And that has become, to me, sometimes I don't even notice. So, for example, with Garfield Games, I don't particularly have an opinion about the company because my when there is this identity superposition, I tend to focus on, on the designer, designer and artist. They are all games by the same designer, same artist. And so I think of that game series rather than uh, the publisher. And there are a couple of those things. There was a time where Alea was like that for me and felt, uh, meaning I know that Alea has always produced 
a lot of other things, but there was a period when all of, or it looked like all of Fell games were published by Alea. And so to me it was, okay, I notice Alea when they have a Fell title. But it was also a sign that those companies tend to tended to have a much more narrow, but narrow sounds negative, much more focused design approach. So that, for example, when they were publishing the Alia series that had like 12 titles or something like that, of which, for example, the 11th is Castle of Burgundy, I can see here you know, on, on, the, on my shelf. But people knew that having all of the games in that series means meant having reliable games of a certain kind. That, to me, has become a little more rare. I find that with the exception of Mind Clash, I have very few ideas of companies where every game they publish is in the same vein. Because I was thinking, for example, of a publisher that we both like a lot, uh, Bird and Dice, Mm -hmm. that brings out some very excellent euros. But the catalog is very varied. Like the fact that some of the authors we like publish with them and their games come out through them doesn't mean necessarily that I can look at the publisher knowing, oh, if they're publishing that, that will be interesting to me. And the same is true of CGE. They publish some very focused euros that I really like, but also some more sprawling things that are not to my liking. And I wonder if that has always been the case or if this is a reaction to the fact that the market is growing so fast that just adding titles to a catalog is a good idea, even if they stray away from your traditional publisher identity. I don't know, though. I don't have an answer to that. So something that I wanted to just mention for being like very unique and kind of out there were Oink Games. <laughs> they are a Japanese company, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have made a ton of little games. And when I say little, they're like smaller than like tiny epic games. <laughs> they're, I don't know, about like the size of a sardine can maybe. And I think it's interesting because they're always like full games. They're like a real game. I mean, they're not like a heavy euro or something like that, but they're they're a full game that are that I've had fun with quite a few of them. I've I've liked the um, fake artist goes to New York. I have Nine Tiles Panic, which is a lot of fun. And when I buy these, I know that that they're going to be quality. Like the the production of them has always been high quality for me, at least. Did you see that they made or are making a modern art? Yeah, I saw that. And it looks nice, actually. So, yeah, Oink Games. And then the other one that I want to talk about was Buttonshy. Have you heard of them? Nope. So they actually make small wallet games. They're mm-hmm. pocket size, and they actually come packaged in a bifold wallet. Nice. Nice idea. And so they're, like, super portable. Yeah, I think they're, it's really interesting because they, they literally come in, like, a little wallet, and, and they're little games. And... Uh, I've played some of them. Brian has some of them. And they're fun. They they have different interesting mechanics. Some of them are solo. Some of them are one to two players. Some of them are up to four. Like So there's a lot of different 
different things. And I thought it was a very sort of unique idea to try and get, that's all they, they publish also. They just publish those very, very tiny wallet sized games. So I thought that they were interesting and that they did something different. Yes. And it's, it's always nice to find again, something that can give you a pointer into at least noticing something because there are so many games coming out that anything that provides guidance to me is very precious. For example, connecting to TMG before game brewer uh, is something that I now notice. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of the games are hits. For example, one of the first ones that was about brewing, if I don't remember uh, poorly, was not to my liking. But recently, they have this approach where they do the laxified versions, but also their regular versions are also very, very good. Mm-hmm. And I I like that a lot. I have liked most of the games that I have seen. And even if I haven't played uh, a lot of them, because some of them are still coming out. But yeah, it's it's very interesting. So touching back to what you were saying about how sometimes the designer and the publisher can feels synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that was recent news. Uh, Reiner Knizia um, not having partnership with Great Games, Grail games anymore. So um, that happened just maybe two weeks ago, actually. So they're not going to be um, publishing any more of his titles. And he's, I think he's suing them. At least that's that's what what they said. Yeah, at first they said that they were not publishing them because the market was not responding well to the classic euros anymore. And then basically it came out with it's just a tweet, so I don't have particular context about it. But saying just to be clear, the reason we're not publishing together anymore is that they they breach contract. As usual with these things, I get very curious. I try to dig a little bit into it. What I've found, but is not confirmed officially, is that they basically ended up selling some of the titles through distributors distributors into markets where other publishers had the rights to Nizia games. Hmm. And so that's that's the, the breach of contract. At first, people were speculating, oh, maybe they didn't pay him royalties or things like that. And instead, it seems to be a matter of exclusive distribution rights and it's too bad because i only own one of their versions of uh, nizia games the medici but it's by far uh, the best the best version of medici i've seen i like the art i like the the design i, I also like that was a kickstarter and i like the kickstarter process it was very smooth very clear on expectations and times and prices and all of that mm-hmm. um so we'll see. At the same time, Nietzsche has so many titles that connecting him to one specific. It's more that Grail Games was synonymous with Nietzsche rather than Nietzsche being synonymous right. with Grail Games. Um, but yeah. By the way, there was a period when Fantasy Flight was re- reprinting old, old um, Nietzsche games. My edition of Samurai, which I like a lot, actually, is... Uh, fantasy flight 
edition. Hmm. Let's see who else. I wanted your input on on Mind Clash. Mind Clash? Yes. So this is the thing. <laughs> Mind Clash. If a game is coming out for Mind Clash, number one, I'm super interested in it. I want to know more about it. I want you to tell me all about it. I want you to... I, I don't even need to see the visuals because I know that the visuals are going to be amazing. So, but I mean, I appreciate them. So it has made probably one of my favorite games of all time, which is Anachrony. And yeah, it's just, I I really appreciate them. I think that that the people who work for them really put their their heart and soul into it. Every convention that I've been to where they have been there um, teaching games or things like that, the people are just super, super passionate about it and are, I just, I really enjoy all of their games, even if they're not for me, which I'm, I'm getting to the point where I think Cerebria is not for me because it's been on my shelf for since, since the first Gen Con that I went to, I think. And I still have not yet played it. I've, I've tried a few times, um, but it's it's just a very heavy mechanic focused game. But I I still really appreciate it for its art. I appreciate it for its table presence. I think that all of the games are very deep and thematic and innovative. Really, honestly, like so that's what I think about them. And I'm excited for their announcement of Voidfall. So Yeah. One thing that makes them very interesting to me is that all that you said is very true and people notice Mind Clash, etc. But they actually haven't published that many games. And even for example Anachron that as you know I also like quite a bit. But is in the middle of the top one hundred. So it's not like Gloomhaven. But you say Cephalor Games, of course, you know, this is the top game on BGG, things like that. They publish that, uh, they publish Anacron, they publish Tricarian, they publish Cerebria, and everything else is yet to come. So it's so interesting to me that they were able to command such an attention as a publisher, as with, with so. so few titles. In a way, I feel that the publisher is talked about more than the titles themselves. People are very excited for for Mind Clash, and we hear that more than we hear Tricarion or um, or Anachrony, which I think are two very good games. Tricarion doesn't work for me for one specific thing. It has a booklet of objectives that you have to read through, and that leads to, to immense analysis paralysis for my group. But it's certainly a very solid game. I think it's partially the incredible production of all of those games. And second, the fact of not settling for anything else than amazing theming. Mm-hmm. And that, combined with the fact that they're quite on the Euro side, they're not maybe very the, the cleanest of Euros, but they are definitely on the Euro side makes them for a unique experience, meaning that you get this very solid, very intense, very detailed Euro experience. Anachrony has a bunch of 
submenus and options and uh, worker placement and Tricarion as simultaneous worker placement and menus of actions and resource management combined with these very high quality productions and fanciful themes because Tricarion is basically the prestige, the, the prestidigitation or the magic on stage, which is not something that we had seen before. And Anachrony is time-traveling and uh, Apple-like visual, very clean, very white. And Cerebria, which I definitely don't want to play after reading that rule book. (laughs) And also the theme doesn't click for me, but there is no doubting that it's very original. It's basically a a battle in the battlefield of of conscience uh, of uh, something like that and even the one that we both skipped on perseverance is about a colony dealing a, a science fiction colony dealing with dinosaurs so they have these approaches where they develop these very busy games and euros but they don't fall back to okay you're managing a factory or you're building a castle they decide to go unique that comes with a comes at the price, uh, literally a price, meaning that uh, they often the, the backlash that they get more of, most often is people saying, well, couldn't you publish a, a simpler version, a stripped-down version without all of these bits, just the same game but in a less fancy way? And even if they never answer, no, we, we won't do it, but clearly that's not their business model. Um, and that certainly cuts off a certain part of the audience. I think it's smaller than people think. I don't think there are that many people that will completely shy away from a game just because it's 80 or 90 or 100 rather than $60. Usually people who complain about that are people who buy hundreds of games. And so I don't think that's the majority of the, the target market. But it's interesting that they were able to create such a dominant image most people who are interested in board games know what Mind Clash is with three games of <laughs> good but not stellar success. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the quality and I think word of mouth is really a high like portion per, like a high proportion of their like business model as far as like advertising goes i don't really see much advertising for them Mm -hmm. so i feel like so i take that back when uh perseverance was out it was everywhere there were banners on bgg um on kickstarter it was one of like the higher recommended ones for me so i feel like when they push for a game they push for it but in the interim, I feel like they don't really push their own games. Mm-hmm. That being said, I will back Voidfall because it has David Turtsey and it also has Ian O'Toole, which I've already said this, but I want to reiterate <laughs> that I will be backing Voidfall at the highest <laughs> whatever it is. And I'm sure it's going to be at least like 150 bucks, if not more, so... We'll I'm see. very interested. In, I'm very interested in it too. Not only because I also like Tootsie quite a bit, but also because it promises to be a euro in the space exploration genre, 
which is something that might work very well for me. I have never found, a, despite my fascination with, with science fiction in TV shows and books, I think I own zero games that are about space exploration or space expansion. They usually f- fall flat for me, so mm-hmm. I have great hopes for that. So yeah, Minecraft games, highly, highly recommended. Another one that I feel like is indisputable as far as quality goes is Stonemaier games. Mm-hmm. I feel like the quality of their games, I never question that. I never think, oh, I would like this, but I don't know how the components are going to look. From Red Rising, which is <laughs> probably ridiculously overproduced with its metal cubes and its, you know, other other unnecessary components to Wingspan that has, you know, all the different little eggs and a, a dice uh, tower that's a bird feeder and Scythe with, with its little um, mech minis and very interesting artwork and creation of a new like world and tapestry with all of its different tracks and, and little houses and things and, and another overproduced thing and euphoria, which I, I really actually really liked the production of that also. And my little scythe, all of those I've seen firsthand. And I think that they're really, really nice looking games um i've played all of them would play all of them again so i think that stonemeyer for me is one of the ones where i'm like if they're releasing something it has captured my attention yes i think the their production value is extremely high and i see what you mean about red rising but i actually feel that one of the things that Stonemaier does well is that when you look at the game it always looks like it's it's what it should be Mm -hmm. yeah in abstract when i think of yeah you don't need the metal cubes etc but when we were playing red rising i had problems with the gameplay i had problems with the fact that your colors were very similar but it didn't feel out of place i feel like the games on a physical level come together very well also, it's a publisher that has built a dedicated fan base, mm-hmm. which allows them to basically do a little bit of what they want, which is very useful. I am actually probably 50-50 with the games. Like Viticulture is a good game. I'm not in love with it, but I definitely like it. I really like Sight. I really like Between Two Cities. I didn't care particularly for Wingspan. I definitely didn't care for... Red Rising, I haven't even tried Pendulum, which seems like a gimmicky enterprise. But it's interesting how this is another company that there are people who are fans of the company or of Jamie Stegmaier, who is the publisher and designer of most of these games, but not of all of them. And they just follow it. And if something comes up from them, they will get it early on. There are pre-order systems and there is a champion program and that's interesting i don't think i have that relationship to to a publisher although i have it to some designers uh, like with feld i'm basically ready to buy a feld game when it comes out 
or a Tashini game. Um, but it's interesting that 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 has been built. And sometimes I look at new new companies and I when they have like two in a row that I like, I go, oh, maybe this will be my Stonemaier game. It was the case, for example, for a Grey Fox game that when they came out, they put out Champions of Midgard and they follow it up with uh, the um, old Order of the Gilded Compass. And I was very excited, but then they did a bunch of other stuff that I really didn't care about. <laughs> You were like, you had such high hopes, and then they like were like, and... <laughs> well, but that's the point, is that it's not enough to not do anything bad. You need to keep doing things that interest me, and obviously that's not the specific goal of any company. Oh, it's not in that, anyone's mission statement to satisfy... That, that surprises me, yeah. I have <laughs> written stern letters to multiple companies saying that they should include satisfying Jackie's taste. Um, in, in the mission statement, statement. <laughs> so far, so far, no takers. Uh, uh, let's see, Renegade Games. I have a love hate relationship with Renegade Games. Where does the hate come from? Uh, hate is a strong word. <laughs> um, it's more of a like annoyance, I guess, because in the beginning, I thought that I, I thought that they had. They were my like favorite for a while because I really loved Clank. When Clank first came out, I was like, yes, this is the kind of game I like. This is, you know, what I want out of my gaming experience. Uh, then I had received the Renegade games. Uh, well, I guess it's through Garfield games still, but it's from Renegade or distributed by Renegade. And that's the... Um, the Shem Phillips line. Mm -hmm. So I started getting those and then I had lanterns and then I had, uh, you know, and so I, I got really excited and then they sort of went heavy into like IPs for a while. I'm looking at the list of games and they seem like games that you, that you like quite a bit, right? You like Fox in the forest. You like search for planet X. Have you played Altiplano? No. But that looks like a game that you could like. I, I don't understand the, the, the disappointment. I mean, when Dake was very good, uh, Words Fair, they say it's very good. They haven't played it. Uh, the Castell? Po the Power Rangers one sort of just like took over, though. Oh, I had no idea. The other one um, that I didn't like, which I think was from them, was Flip Ships. I haven't tried it. Or it, seen it. It annoyed me. <laughs> Uh, I want to make sure that it's from them before I get well, to we definitely into it. started yes. publishing more. Like the list for 2021 is is gigantic compared to the earlier days. Yeah. Yeah, they started getting a lot more into IPs, a lot more into things that aren't in line with me. So Again, I guess they, they didn't uh, know that I was included in their mission statement either. Um, so I, I still am excited for games that are published by them. Um, I'm not going to not look at things from them, but I'm also like... Like Embark Embarcadero. Ugh, I hate that word. 
Embarcadero, for example, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like the the cover looks so cool and like intriguing. And I'm like, okay, you know, let me look at this. And then have you seen the board? It's so ugly. No, I haven't. I'm looking at it now. It's so ugly. Like the, the components are ugly. And it was a it was from a Kickstarter. And I'm like, how is this a Kickstarter? They didn't want to like make it nicer. I don't know. It's just, it's not my aesthetic. It's not, I, I don't know. The more I look into it, the more it seems like they are good at picking games from other company, but not particularly in choosing what they publish on their own. Because I was looking at Covert, for example, that was a very good idea, but the game was just, eh. And Embarcadero, and they are both Renegade Studios only games. While the games, well, Clank, to be fair, it's also, I think, published by them mainly. So that, that, that's unfair. They also had big hits with their own, with their own designs. Yeah. You're trying to optimize a card deck, hunt humans to gain victory points, fulfill secret missions, and eventually acquire a rose and return to the castle before sunrise. I'm happy that you are excited about it because looking at it makes me sad. It is a, a Richard Garfield game. Okay, so they should they should have some success with it. Have you did you end up backing um, my father's work? Yes. So that that also got a lot of buzz. Yes, also from them. So yeah, it's a so I, yeah, it's more of a love annoyance because I'm like, Ugh, do more things I want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll I'll look into it more and see how I feel about them in the, the coming days. Uh, have you heard of CMYK? CMYK? No. So they are a tiny design studio and publisher. That is that is what they are. They are self touted as. Um, and why are they important? And I will tell you. It is because they acquired the licensing for Quacks of Quedlingburg from uh, North Star Games. So North Star Games will no longer be producing oh. Quacks of Quedlingburg. And there's not even a North Star Games version of the newest expansion for Quacks. Mm-hmm. So that is very interesting to me. But so this is a company that also has some designs, or are they just redistributors? Let's see these monikers. Moniker seems to be... Yeah, Moniker seems to be a game of theirs. It's a party game, I think. Well, like Waveland. So they were publishing only party games, and then they decided to... That's interesting. And then they acquired... Tavels on Tiefenthal and Quacks on Quedlinburg. And I think that's another thing that I was thinking of a moment ago, that for me sometimes it's hard because it used to be a little more transparent who was originating the games. I remember when, for example, Stronger Games started publishing European games in the US market, they always uh, bore both symbols. And now things are not so clear or vice versa. There are so many symbols that I get lost. And games change license more often. Teotihuacan, for example, has had three editions, each under a different North American umbrella. Really? 
the first one was NSKN games. The current one is board game board and dice. And in the middle there was another one. Mine is mine is NSKN. Mine mine too, but now they are board and dice like the canoe and all of that. Or for example, Solkin is a CGE but also Rio Grande games, while other games that they have are CG only published, like uh, Arnak is published in the US by CG. And so that that confuses me a lot. <laughs> I have a hard time following publishers here and there. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a lot going on. One that I wanted to mention is uh, Simon, Culminis or not. Okay. That used to be a company that I didn't look into because I didn't like the zombie side. Sure. And a lot of their games were on that line. But two things happened. One, they started publishing different, no miniature games. And so the Gridzold and Lorenzo and Newton, they are never their own designs. They are always things that they import, but they have imported into the US very interesting games. And the second one was their collaboration with Eric Lang. Mm -hmm. And so Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and now Ankh. And that has brought them into my, my purview. They are one of the two companies that I follow on Kickstarter. One is them, the other one is Awakened Realms. Mm-hmm. And that has been this new wave, I think, of games that sometimes they fail and they revert to being just a bunch of minis without a solid game behind. But at least the, these two companies, I feel, have tried to bridge the gap between incredible productions uh, of miniatures and big games with a lot of components and very solid gameplay. Which Mind Clash has already done. Sure, but the miniatures are not their thing, right? Well, Anachrony has a few miniatures, but it's not a miniature-heavy game right. like, like Rising Sun and all of that. And so I'm interested to see what, what they will do. There are also companies that exist in virtue of, of Kickstarter, like the, the fact that Kickstarter gives them so much upfront capital has allowed them to, to do a lot in that for Simon is in terms of amount of content they give you a lot of stuff mm-hmm. or awaken realms which are the makers of um, nemesis and lords of hellas and tainted grail and Atterfields and the great wall and all of that it's instead a matter of experimenting their games are very weird nemesis is uh, aliens with with player elimination and strange events Lord of Alas is uh, area control that also has heroes that go around and build things. Uh, Tainted Grail, as I was saying before, it's almost a, an RPG in a box, but with a card combat system. And every game that they come out with is very innovative, very different. Some work, some don't for different people, but also for their success. Not everything is as successful. But I think that Kickstarter has created more of an attention to to the publisher because it allows them to to experiment and again on kickstarter there is not such a thing as being just a distributor right you take on the the marketing you try to convince people to support your project and so the fact of oh i'm just 
I mean, there are a few of those. I'm just reprinting that. Like the Queen Games company and, uh, campaigns are usually like that. Mm-hmm. They have a game that is already established and they're trying to reprint it. But often following a company on Kickstarter is an interesting experience because some focus on very lavish productions, other on experimental games and things like that. Yeah, Simon, I'm always happy with the quality of their productions. Even something as less fanciful than miniatures like Fairy Tale Inn, I have. I really like the production of it. Victorian Masterminds has miniatures in it. Gizmos, I really like. Yeah, I really like a lot of these titles for for Simon for sure. Red Raven Games. It's another fascinating company because Red Raven Game is synonymous with Ryan Lockett. Much mm-hmm. like uh, Garfield Games is synonymous with Shem Phillips. But the difference is that Ryan Lockett also does all of his writing, artist production, drawing, and editing. And that's incredible to me. But vice versa, there are not games that usually resonate with me that, that much. Wow. The other, another one that I wanted to talk about was Capstone Games. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of their games. Um, There are some that I like, some that I have been like, eh. But one thing that is for sure is the quality of of their games also is just really good. I'm excited Mm -hmm. for the Glass Road reprint. I think that will be good. There's a new game that's coming out called Juicy Fruits, and it has just different like wooden-shaped fruits. And I think that that's going to be cool so yeah i and you said that um orleans was acquired by them uh i don't know no i know that the um, it was lost by by tmg i don't know who acquired probably yeah might be oh yeah here yep it's acquired by by capsule games the only things i have interacted with uh, in terms of capsule games are sizable euros like i i tried maracaibo and i tried uh, um cooper island did you like either of those i like maracaibo more mm-hmm. i thought i would have been drawn back to it way more they are very interesting both of them also um cooper island but at the same time they have so many rules that they feel I don't know how to say it. I had a fun time playing them, but exploring them again is not particularly interesting to me because they derive their their complexity from an accumulation of rules rather than from one deep structure. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Maracaibo has different spots and every stop, every place you, where you stop has a few options and you are collecting different things and I know that this applies to a lot of, of euros but it felt very busy and each card is different and so it's like if Bruges met with also a game like Glenrow, um, Glenmore and also a game a little bit like I don't know Teotihuacan or something like that where you're moving around and and so, sure, of course, it's a, a complicated and interesting and thinking experience. But how can it not be? You put in 
everything. And uh, Cooper Island had a similar thing where you're going around the island, but you're also building different levels of your fields a little bit like Gingopolis does with with the cities. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to favor these very well-honed, but also very busy euros. So for me, there are games that I will gladly play. For example, I would like to play Crystal Palace, but I don't think I will ever own. Yeah, but you have like Watergate, right? Yes, I have Watergate. I also have uh, Cartago, and I like both of them because those are different. Those are more straightforward, more linear, and yes, they are the ones that were acquired Orleans. Oh, they published Lignum. So we have our our feud goes goes deep. <laughs> they were they were the ones that brought Lignum to to the uh, to the English speaking world. You don't like that, or I couldn't stand it. It was <coughs> boredom. Is the my go-to example for the fact that doing well in a game has nothing to do with liking it. I did an incredible good game of Lignum the one time I played it, and it was a painful experience. It simulates the painful existence of a early industrial lumberjack without any of the excitement. <laughs> it, it was horrendous. Got it. Is Aaliyah still around? Hmm. I assume. I assume it is. I think they just I, don't have very much of a US presence. I think that yeah, that you don't find their their names on, on the games anymore. Well, even though They're... when I go see the top games, they don't seem to be publishing much newer. Uh, the Castle of Tuscany came out in 2020. They seem to be reashing their portfolio because they had a new edition of Puerto Rico. They have a new edition of Castle of Burgundy. But the last thing they published seems to be new, I mean, seems to be the rise of Queensdale that was distributed by Ravensburger here. So even when they are distributed, they, they, bear, they bear the, the Ravensburger name, I think. What about Rio Grande games? Well, Dominion is still there. The big, the big pop pusher, right? Yeah, I mean, it's weird to me. Like, so Rio Grande also published Beyond the Sun, which I know you didn't really care for, but it mm-hmm. has had some success. Quite, quite a success is my understanding. Yeah, because it went completely out of print everywhere, and they had to reprint it. It's... They were also involved in Praga Kaputregni. Oh, really? Uh, they are listed as yeah as publishers. They keep um, pushing Power Grid, which is still a big seller, I guess. They <laughs> own the rights to roll of the ga- uh, f- f- for the galaxy. Concordia is distributed by them. Mm-hmm. Underwater Cities, although Underwater Cities now is Delicious Games. Oh, is it independent now? I think so. Okay, I think that's his own publishing company delicious oh yeah the english second edition is delicious games and third edition while it used to be under rio grande first and second edition was rio grande yeah so with the exception of dominion which keeps churning out new content they seem to be more focused on bringing titles to, to distribution which i guess is a safer safer place to be and once you grow to a certain 
dimension that seems to be almost needed, right? You cannot always invent Dominion every year. <laughs> also, um, Fayum from Friedman Freeze, I heard that that was pretty popular also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, their stuff is all right. I don't have much to say, either positive or negative, really. Um, Praga, I think, is is really nice, but I don't know how much of that is delicious games and how much of that is Rio Grande games. Because I think it's duly, duly published, or I, I wouldn't know. But I mean, Beyond the Sun is a newer title from them, and I really enjoy it, and I think that the production quality is there. You like the production quality of Beyond the Sun? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like the the little dice that it comes with, a mm. la Roll for the Galaxy. I am more surprised by that than surprised by the by the fact that you like the game. <laughs> the, it looks very bland. I mean, it is overall, but I don't know. I I like it. Who who's, who publishes uh, the um, Dwellings of Elder Vale? Is Breaking that, Games. Is that like a one game company, or do they have? Other titles. Um, so they also made lots of party games. Okay. Sparkle Kitty. We're doomed. Oh, they also have Rise of Tribes, though. Keep calm. That's barely not a party game. Oh, really? I, I haven't played it. It looked like an actual game. No, it is. But it's... You know how when you like place heavy, heavy, heavy stuff for so long, and then something like light medium comes along and you're like, oh, that's it? That's all I do? Yes. So that's kind of how I felt about that. I felt like in the in the time when I was like, even more so than now, like super into heavy only, like heavy, 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 heavy stuff. We played that and I was like, oh. It wasn't, it, it was not a bad game. They also published The King's Abbey, which is instead a bad game. <laughs> oh, We Are Doom, that we played together. And they apparently the people behind the T-Turtles uh, Unstable Unicorns game. So, yeah. I'll, I'll go back to my meh. Although, um, they have a new thing on Kickstarter right now called Chroma, which I think is a little interesting. It's it's like abstract strategy, which I know is like your like bottom of the barrel kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I don't expect to play it with you, but I think it's interesting because you're trying to make different colors and the way that you do it is by overlapping tiles to make those colors. It looks like a mass market from the 80s, but beside that, <laughs> it's bad. I like the 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 colors i think it's they certainly cannot be accused of staying with the same type of game that's true okay so we've talked about quite a few publishers and there are so so many more that are out there um just because these are the ones that we mentioned doesn't mean that you know we don't give the smaller publishers a try when it comes down to it 
you know, the, the game and the gameplay is what sells me on it. Then the art, then the components probably. So, I mean, that's just me. I know you're a little more focused on visuals than I am. Uh, for me, it's a more of a discriminating factor, meaning that I choose my games based on gameplay, but I limit my exploration of gameplay to games that master the, the, the attention, meaning if you haven't invested on making your game decent, probably it's not a project that is where it should be. And it's the same with a movie. I wouldn't go see a movie where they forgot to edit the audio. Sure, I can like the screenplay, but if you didn't put editing or montage or a director of photography on it, I don't care that your screenplay is good. This said, once you're there, what makes me choose a game over another is definitely gameplay, much like with a movie, I, I go see a good screenplay and I won't go see a bad screenplay. But yeah, and the publisher has a lot to do with that. So yeah, I think that we've covered, you know, so, so many. And there's like, if you go on BGG, there's like 141 pages and they're all just like little tiny bullets. So it's like <laughs> thousands of, of publishers. So there's no way that we could cover them all it's it's weird it's when i tell people that we have companies that we know and follow at first they are always a little disconcerted then when you make them think of well you probably know some publishing companies for movies or for for books and so obviously who produces something is often as important as the artist behind it think for example of marvel marvel is a big production studios and each movie is uh, as a different director and a different screenwriter but obviously no one would deny the importance of marvel for the marvel cinematic universe and it's not just a matter of uh, of ip it's also a matter of the approach that you have to the production of your materials and i think that translates to games if you have any publishers that you think we should check out, please feel free to leave them in the comments. If you disagree with anything, also please leave them in the comments. We would be very interested to hear if if you have really good experiences with some, some companies that we mentioned or anything like that. So thank you so much for listening. That brings us to the end of our episode. And... If you find us, please like, share, subscribe, and check us out. Again, I um, I want to reiterate that we will be doing another giveaway shortly as I need to find space on my shelves. So, <laughs> thank you so much again. Closing out the episode, as always, is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay in touch. And thank you, Nathan, for this wonderful chat. Bye. Bye. Bye.